Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special holiday episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we are going back in time from The Muppets Christmas Carol to 1938's A Christmas Carol. Yeah, so we kind of, well, to be honest, I planned this holiday season's uh, double feature around The Muppets Christmas Carol. But in order to do that, I thought it'd be interesting to go back and look at like an older version and kind of a more, I guess, like... I was going to say like a more straight adaptation, like mm-hmm. lift is straight from the book, but actually there are some big changes in this one. Well, it's definitely a straighter adaptation than the Muppets. <laughs> yes. It's, it's less imaginative. Um, I will say, which I, I think we will both say up front. I don't think we're going to recommend this particular version to anybody. I think for us, we're going Muppets as definitive Christmas Carol adaptation. A hundred percent. And I will fight to the death for that. Not that anybody is actually going to fight me on it. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a weird one to be like, I duel you to the death over the Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, (laughs) But I think we're going to be able to have like a very interesting conversation about like what does and doesn't work when it comes to an adaptation and particularly when it comes to an adaptation of this story, because I think this is the first time we've really done two different adaptations of the same story. I agree with you there. So we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So as I said, this is the 1938 version, or as I think I said, I don't know. I'm I'm still very recently post move, so uh, I'm a little scattered. <laughs> uh, but it stars Reginald Owen as Scrooge. Originally, podcast favorite Lionel Barrymore was actually supposed to play Scrooge which I think he would have been amazing at it. I, ooh, I just, I I struggle with whether my problems, well, and we've had these struggles before, whether the it's the acting or the directing uh, for particular characters. Or the and, writing. Or, if it's uh, or all the of writing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it could just be the whole thing is a steaming pile of crap, but uh, <laughs> I don't actually think that. But I, I had some problems with the characterization of Scrooge in, in this um adaptation just because of how quickly he flipped a, a his like jolly switch agreed and i think part of that is the writing and the script and the pacing issues there but i think it's also in performance but i think we definitely further on in the podcast want to get down into the reginald owen versus michael kane versions of scrooge and maybe there we can kind of talk about mm. like what we might have foreseen lionel barrymore's version being yeah uh, because i do think it would have been better and Barrymore actually traditionally played Scrooge on the radio like every year. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So it was originally supposed to be him. He, he also actually narrated the trailer, but he had to dip out due to arthritis. That's some bad arthritis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was older, too, because remember in Grand Hotel, which we saw him in first, which was the first. No, not the first Best Picture winner. The fifth Best Picture winner. Um, he was already like pretty old. So. Um, oh yeah you're right you're right the characters of fred and elizabeth were greatly expanded in this version which i also think is partially why the character of fred seems so empty (laughs) well because he's not designed to be like a super big character in the original work right right he's kind of an aside he's he's like the foil to scrooge um a little bit but he is not a main character at all. He's definitely very much supporting in the main work and in other versions that I've seen. And so I think with this version, they expanded his role, but didn't actually flesh out the character. They just gave him more screen time. So I, a lot of the time I was just like, who are you? (laughs) I was shocked that they opened with him. If I'm going to be honest. Yeah, same. Um, But apparently part of the reason they did that was because they wanted this like romance angle Um, Because, you know, Ian, we got to make Christmas sexy. Okay, can I just point out for a hot second that the Muppets also (laughs) had a romance angle and it was between Scrooge and his jilted lover and it was so much more effective. Oh, you mean Belle, the fiance that's completely cut out of this version? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. The the fiance we don't see in this version, like you just said. Yeah, Yeah, the one that doesn't (laughs) exist that they just ignore who I think is actually a very, very important character, and I will get into it more later. Oh, she's critical for Scrooge's development. Anyway, or background, rather. I felt that omission (laughs) so hard. In the original story, all the ghosts do not happen on the same night, but here they had condensed it into one night. 
um, which I think they also do in the Muppets one, which I think is actually pretty standard for a lot of adaptations. Yeah, I actually so I had very ambitious plans to actually go back and read the novella. I got about 10 pages in and was like, this is not my style of writing. Um, so, you don't like Dickens? Um, it was just very uh, verbose. Uh <laughs> Yes, I just wasn't in the mood. Despite what some people will try and tell you, it's not because he was paid by the word. That is not that was not the case. That is not true. That is a literary rumor that I'm I mean, I appreciated the voice he brought to it, but I, I wasn't up for it, which I feel kind of guilty saying, but it's where I was. Well, no, I, I do think Dickens, I think you're right. He has a very strong voice, his writing style. It's definitely of another era. It's not for everyone. But I think and we saw this in the Muppets Christmas Carol, there is a way to capture that voice. And still kind of include that vibe, even if mm-hmm. you're, you know, lifting some lines straight from the novel or like simplifying others or something, you can still like have that narrative voice, which Muppets did with Gonzo being like the um, narrator. Yeah, but this movie completely lacked, I think. Although I, there were some lines I think they lifted straight from the the original text, but like they weirdly didn't like work with other lines it was very weird yeah i i really did miss the narrator like aspect to it and you know i maybe i we should have flipped to the order and watched this one first but that was I, the original plan ian but one of us was moving across country and we had a guest we had to book <laughs> but it's uh i feel i don't know i'm i'm working on not being unnecessarily harsh on this because I really am comparing it to a much more, in my opinion, polished and like it happens what 50 years ish after the 1938 version, the Muppets does. Um, Okay. Ian, we've watched stuff though from 38 and earlier that is more polished than this. Okay. You make a very compelling point. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am all about like putting movies in the context like of when they were made, but that also doesn't mean we give them a free pass on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I would say in general, like the tone of this movie is extremely wonky. It never got grim enough for me, which I'll go into more later why I think that's so important for this story, mm-hmm. but it was done on purpose to make it more family friendly. Specifically, that is why they excluded bell the jilted fiance and it's why they excluded the people looting scrooge's stuff when he's dead this is some haze code bullshit <laughs> i i Even don't though, think wait, we can blame haze code? code on this um haze code uh no this would have been post haze code because it happened one night which was 34 i think was one of the last movies to eke through before the haze code i'm pretty sure so i know this is absolutely not what i should be doing but i'm gonna do it anyway like i associate any like social stuffiness of this era just with haze code in my mind which is bad i should not be that good but (laughs) exactly and i will say like i don't agree with the haze code at all but sometimes filmmakers were very clever about ways to get around it no ian the the haze code didn't say things can't be dark the Hayes Code said, like, um, women who misbehave have to be punished and, like, cracked down Highly on, like, LGBTQ representation. <laughs> that was Hayes Code. That was Hayes Code. Um, no, but it, they specifically did want to make it more family friendly, which, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, releasing it in theaters and you're like, this is going to be a family movie. But I think you can still keep that grim tone and have it still be a family friendly movie. Like, I think. That's not giving kids enough credit. Oh, absolutely. And we saw that in the Muppets. They 100% keep the dark tone. And what I mean, what's more family friendly than the Muppets? I mean, I struggle to think of very many things like a Barney's Christmas Carol would not be good, though. So I'm not going to propose that. (laughs) How dare you? I say it's not like Muppets Pride and Prejudice (laughs) as a, a past Barney super fan when I was a kid. Um, but you know, on a slightly lighter tone, speaking of, uh, tones, this movie did have a lot of familiar faces. It did. Six of the cast members have appeared in past movies that we have covered 
on this podcast, some of them in multiple. Oh, no, I'm about to make a massive fool of myself, aren't I? (laughs) Okay, so there's a couple ways we can do this. We're going to play a little Christmas game. Oh, no. I can. You can just straight up be like, this is the person I recognized. Or I can give you the actor and the character and you and how many movies we've done that they were in. And you can try and guess the movies. Oh, no. So I'm going to just start guessing. Okay. Because that that'll maybe be less embarrassing for me. I don't know. I'm going to be a fool. Follow my rules. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Stop bringing your chaos. Follow my rules. Okay. I'll give you the actor and the part. Is that I feel like that might be easier. Okay, let's do it. Okay, and I will preface that like a lot of these people weren't necessarily like huge characters. So just I'll give like just give me the movie you think they were in. So Reginald Owen, who plays Scrooge, has been in two best picture winners. Oh no. So here here's the problem. One's from, from the 19- 30s, one's from the 40s. Is it unacceptable if I click on their name in the Wikipedia article yes, and look at their This game isn't going to work, is it? It's not going to work, is it? I feel so bad, but I... You scrooged my game. I, I'm so sorry. I'm harshing your mellow. You scrooged my game. There is there is one, actually, that I think you might be able to pick out. Um, so I will make you guess that one when we get there. So Reginald Owen was in The Great Ziegfeld and Mrs. Minifer. And the great Ziegfeld, he was Sampton, who I don't remember who that is. Okay. I don't remember the great Ziegfeld except for like the big musical numbers. I remember. Oh yeah. And her. Yes, absolutely. And I remember the terrible ending. Um, So in Mrs. Miniver, he was Foley, who I also don't remember who that is. Is Yeah. The problem is it's been a long time since we've watched films of this era. (laughs) I I know. Um, Okay. Um, I think he's the Rose guy. Anyway, Gene okay. uh, Lockhart, who played Bob Cratchit, was in Going My Way. He played Ted Haynes Sr., who I think was the mean dad. Oh. And Weird. he was in a very recent special episode that we did. He played a judge. Can you guess? Oh, was he on Miracle? He was in Miracle. He, he was, was the, the judge. judge oh, that's great. Santa. Um, Kathleen Lockhart, who, uh, was actually Jean Lockhart's wife, who plays Mrs. Cratchit, had an uncredited role in Gentleman's Agreement. Leo G. Carroll, who plays Marley, was in Rebecca. He played, uh, Dr. Baker in that. And he is, of course, referenced in Rocky Horror Picture Show in the song Science Fiction Double Feature. I'm going through the lyrics in my head and I'm trying to remember I'm pretty sure I sang that bit in our episode. Anyway. <laughs> Maggie, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Put you me out of my misery. Sometimes. Like you <laughs> physically, emotionally, and mentally hurt me sometimes. And this is one of those moments. Um, Forrester Harvey, who played old Fezzy Wig, was in an uncredited role in Mrs. Miniver as well. And then here's the one that I think you potentially well, mm. Here's the one that I previously thought you would potentially remember, but now I'm losing hope. Um, Anne Rutherford, who is the ghost of Christmas past. Did you recognize her? Was she in a Broadway melody? I feel that look through the phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's so scary because I was definitely giving you like a look. Like I was just giving a look into space. We're not on video call today. I can't believe you picked up on it. Oh, that's scary. Okay, there was a lot of silence. A lot of silence. I was letting you think. I'll give you a hint. It was another one from the 30s. Okay. That was your Was it a winner? Was it? Oh, it was a winner. It was a winner. No, no, no. This one, it was a best picture winner. Sorry. It wasn't Gone with the Wind, was it? It was Gone with the Wind. Do you remember who? I mean, looking at her face, it has to be one of the like O'Hara sisters. Yes, she's the youngest O'Hara sister. Oh my God, I got one. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the one I thought who, you might get. Who? Well, to be fair, she's also the one that I named who I think has the most screen time in the movie I like she was in and like like is the most memorable performance in this movie as well. So Yeah. Yeah. 
Ooh, I feel better about myself now. I mean, marginally. <laughs> I'm sorry to every listener who is like screaming at their phone. Pulling their hair out. Whatever they're listening to this podcast on. I apologize on behalf of Ian <laughs> and the podcast as a whole. Um, no, to be fair, though, when I was like looking through those, I... Um, a lot of those characters, I was like, okay, whatever you say, because like I didn't remember them either. Okay, well, I feel a little better. <laughs> All right, should we go into watch notes after that painful? Oh, painful let's game do it. That's let's definitely do it. gonna get trimmed in post. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, okay, so as we mentioned, it actually opens up with Fred, the nephew, um, like sliding on some ice, which I like this characterization I hate this of him. Intro. I mean. <laughs> It, I like the characterization of him being like kind of a frivolous, like fun person, but it is very like thin. And also, what the hell is he doing? Just picking up random children and sliding on the ice with them. It's really long, too. And like, to be fair, we, you know, we have a similar introduction. Again, we're going to a lot of this episode be like comparing it to Muppet. So we can kind of do that compare and contrast um, between the two movies. You have Fred in the Muppets having like this very cheery entrance to counter Scrooge, mm -hmm. but it's done more effectively there. And it's like quick and like befitting of that character's part in the story. Whereas it's a very long sequence in this one of Fred, like sliding on the ice with random children. A lot of people are saying Govna, which is <laughs> like a weird amount, like a weird amount. Um, well, and did you notice, or at least if I'm remembering correctly, there it feels like there was some sort of mid-Atlantic accent coming through <laughs> amidst all of these like English accents. I don't know. It was it was weird to me. No one's doing it's like everyone's almost doing an accent. No one's actually doing an accent. It's very odd. Yeah. So it not not super cohesive and even like the coming into marley and scrooge's place where fred's like "Ooh, let's drink on the job bob um yeah i was like you're gonna get bob fired like, fred what are you doing i don't know i i just there was a disappointing lack of rat bookkeepers for one and then yes, two, like bob i i understand that he's supposed to be kind of like meek and you know coming up against this really awful scrooge character like but i don't think bob cratchit is stupid right and he came off as inept yeah well and also i, I the only purpose that i can think of for like this intro and the way they start with fred is that it's an early introduction to tiny tim because Tiny Tim is one of the kids. It's like it's Bob mm -hmm. Cratchit's children who are like sliding on the ice. And so the only thing I can think of is that it's an introduction to Tiny Tim to like start to build sympathy for him. But it doesn't really work because like everyone's too happy. And like the interior of the accounting office was like too nice. Oh, yeah. Like Scrooge would never have gone for that many candles to keep it that bright. Like, come on. Darkness is cheap. Remember? Yeah, well, and that's something that I was so disappointed in this one was the cinematography, right? Because, like, we've talked over and over again about, like, our slash my love of black and white cinematography and, mm -hmm. like, what you can do with the shadows and stuff. And I was like, this movie was such a great opportunity to, like, really use the lighting and the cinematography in a great way. Honestly, in the way that Muppets did a lot of the time. Like, I think mm -hmm. in that episode, we talk a lot about the way they used, like, the warm versus cool light tones and stuff. And granted, that's in Technicolor. But, like, you can you can make the accounting office appear, like, dark and cold and drab to really set off, like, this is a miserable fucking place. Yeah. And they just didn't. In the... The thing that really hammered that home for me is the snowball fight scene where it's just a wash in gray, like not captured well. And I I do want to say like, hey, maybe it looked better before the years ravaged that film, <laughs> but like it it's not enough to really highlight what's going on like visually for me. Well, and the snowball scene is just kind of dumb, right? Like in in the original movie and i think in a lot of other adaptations like bob cratchit isn't fired he's just threatened 
Mm -hmm. with firing and like he's paid miserably and the work conditions are miserable. And this one, they're like, no, he's going to get fired. And so they have this like needlessly contrived snowball scene, which again, I was like, I don't think the character of Bob Cratchit is stupid. I think he's just like meek and trod upon and like worried and has like a lot of responsibility and anxiety. Am I projecting? Yeah. Am I projecting well, Bob no, I'm just kidding. I don't think so. Like, no, I'm and, kidding. But <laughs> you but you know what I mean? Like he's not I don't I can't think of another adaptation where I've been like, this man seems stupid. And like, well, one, why are people just why are kids, let alone a grown adult, just throwing snowballs hard at, at just random, random people. people? Yeah. Only throw snowballs at your friends and family. <laughs> we all know. And this. then you can put rocks in them too. Um Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they still have to love you because they're your friends and family. <laughs> Um, now it wasn't his kids in the snowball fight, right? It was just random kids. No, it would think it was his kids, but they didn't know it was him when they hit him with the snowball. Oh, well. And then he's like, I'll show you how to throw a snowball. Anyway, it's stupid. The whole scene is stupid. I love how you were like, I'm going to try not to be mean. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm calling everything <laughs> stupid now. Well, and notice that I'm just like, yes, let's, I, I brought my fork and knife. We're roasting. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas rest, Christmas rest. Um, but Cratchit ends up throwing the snowball and ends up, of course, being Scrooge. And he gets fired. Like, I, like that whole scene's that whole scene's not needed and it's pointless. And it really does take away screen time from other parts of the story that I think are a lot more important to, like, mm -hmm. the, the themes um, and, like, the interesting part of the story. Which is also crazy because this was, like just over an hour in running time so like took they the actually words out of my mouth like wh what why did you spend time like developing some of these characters i know uh, it's i it's just a bad adaptation as someone who hasn't read the original text it's a bad adaptation let's see what's next after the bad snowball scene um i believe we get some scenes at bob's house I do also have a note that Scrooge says humbug too many times. I've like too many humbugs. <laughs> I liked Michael Caine just throwing away the bah humbug. Yeah, I, I feel like original to Owen didn't quite do the campy version that I really hate, but it wasn't quite as scathing in his delivery. I honestly, I can't decide with his Scrooge if I don't like the performance so much or if just like the script and the editing did him dirty. Well, and the makeup, like that horrific bald cap. Oh, I, I, I mean, I thought his physicality was really good. Like he he does seem like this kind of like hunched over grumpy old man who I, too, would hide in a pantry from a la Mrs. Cratchit at the end. <laughs> but. Yeah, like I can't I, I feel like it's probably on like the script and editing more than it is his performance. But I definitely didn't enjoy his performance as much as I did Michael Caine's because I mm -hmm. felt that um, Michael Caine's Scrooge seems so much more human. Yeah, even early on, even like before we got to like his backstory, he still felt like human. And there's the bit when like the ghosts start appearing, like Marley appears where like Reginald Owens is Scrooge just seemed angry. Like he didn't seem afraid enough. Whereas like, I, I feel like Michael Caine Scrooge had like this really nice balance of like, this can't be true, but also I'm terrified that this is really happening. Mm -hmm. And it was like a controlled fear that I really liked. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with that difference making it very much less enjoyable for me i think the writing is a big part of at least the ghost scenes because if you notice he tries to like bargain with these ghosts like three or four or five times and that just you don't bargain with ghosts you just don't <laughs> like <laughs> i'm it, it like i i don't know I I why that took me out uh, but it, I it's think like, I would oh. try and bargain with a ghost. <laughs> well, Maggie, you don't. You just don't. <laughs> I, think, I think I would.
would try, but I think it would be like my last attempt. Like I feel like I would, I definitely, I'd, I'd question first. No, I would deny first. I would deny first. I would question second. I would plead third. And then fourth, I would start bargaining because at that point, like, I don't know, maybe they'll accept it. Well, and and I I view your bargaining as like you would be terrified and you would like actually be trying to bargain. This Scrooge is demanding. It's like, can I just see all the ghosts all at once so it doesn't take the whole night? And I'm like, no, no, you you don't get to make the terms. I did actually like that line. I think I wrote down that line. There were a couple lines um, that I did write down. um, And that was one of them, I think. Oh, no, no, no. It was when uh, Marley's like, this is my last night and then I have to leave. And he's like, if you must go, Jacob, don't let me keep you. I liked that. That was a little bit of sassy. <laughs> okay. There are some fun quips. I will give it that. Yeah. But as um, a whole, less satisfying. Yes. Agreed. Well, and, and actually my favorite line, I'm pretty sure was lifted straight from the book. And that's earlier when Scrooge and Fred are talking in his office. Mm-hmm. Scrooge says, uh, what right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. And Fred says, what right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. I love that line, but that's definitely a Dickens line. Oh, it is. That was in the first couple pages of the the novella that I read. Perfect. (laughs) So, um, really, really good. Um, but shall we get into the ghost visits? Uh, yes. Let's absolutely get into the ghost visits. So Anne Rutherford as ghost of Christmas past past is an angel and is not terrifying. This is a massive improvement from the Muppets. <laughs> the one thing that I think this movie has over the Muppets, not horror, like not horrifying, weird floating child <laughs> puppet as Ghost of Christmas Past. Instead, it's the delightful Anne Rutherford doing so much with so little. And so I kind of the tone overall, like I thought her delivery was fine. The writing got really preachy. And that. I just wasn't super in on just because it, I don't know, to me, A Christmas Carol is about Scrooge's, wow, Scrooge, Scrooge's uh, like self-discovery through like viewing things from a different lens. And so to have all of the, well, not the third ghost because the third ghost doesn't talk, but the, the past and present ghosts, like being more forward with that message just felt like I was getting beat over the head with a stick. I don't know if you felt the same. No, no, no. I would agree. It felt like the ghosts in this one do a lot more of teaching Scrooge instead of like facilitating him learning. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I think so much of, and I, the, the past section, despite the horrifying ghost puppet <laughs> in the Muppets version, I love because it really, you have this full transition of Scrooge being like, oh yeah, that's when I was a child. Like, oh, there were my friends, but like, they're not really his friends. And like, Mm -hmm. we see the time lapse of the misery. And then we see like the hopefulness of like meeting bell at, uh, it's, uh, what fizzy wig in the real one, but it's Fozzie wig in the month. But like (laughs) meeting bell at the party and like falling in love. And then his, insecurity like getting in the way of the the love and like I love the way it's framed in that too where it's not just it doesn't start out as pure greed Mm -hmm. it starts out as like wanting security and like wanting to be able to provide for her and then it goes to like a well I never feel like I'm going to get to the place where I can and then it becomes like miserly greed and all of that And we got that full evolution because we see it happen Mm -hmm. and we see it happen as Scrooge sees it happen. So like he's able to take away from that. And I feel like in the Muppets version, when the ghosts speak other than like kind of that initial introduction, it's usually in response to Scrooge. Like they'll Mm -hmm. set the scene for him, but then any sort of like, philosophy or um advice or analysis like all of that's coming in as like scrooge is asking something or like making a realization and i feel like in this one 
it was a lot of, especially in the past, Anne Rutherford being like, ah, yes, your sister, you miss her. Yeah. You were happy. If only you were happy again, even though like you can see her trying and there's like a couple moments where like she has like the perfect reaction to something. Mm -hmm. But like girl can only do so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, let me just say that sick burn she placed on Scrooge like I I think what was it she's like it's the warming light of thankfulness and Scrooge is like I've never seen it before and she says I deadpan of course not (laughs) yes oh my god I love that great line great line I think I would have and and that I feel like that's so much like her and stuff like I wish if the writing was going to be sassy every now and then I wish it would have been more sassy all the way through. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it felt very blah. Like I, it didn't have a, a real voice or a real like angle to it. I literally in my notes was like, I, I, it feels like the director thought to themselves, like I will change a generation of film viewers with this movie. And uh, <laughs> Oh, I disagree. Anyway. I feel like the director was phoning it in the whole time. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, it could be an aptitude. It could be deliberate. Uh, ig- what mal- is it? Malfeasance? I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> well, it's just, it's just weird because like this, this version seemed like too expositiony and like too much just like despite not having a narrator yeah despite there being no narrator like in the muppets version it feels like there's so much less like commentary and exposition but like you you actually kind of have two narrators like yes gonzo's the main narrator but you also Mm -hmm. have rizzo there like but there's personality to it and there's i don't know they they never over explain in that one like this version where I felt like they over explained a lot oh, of yeah. stuff. hundred percent agree. Now I will say the one they do try to give Scrooge some like origin story with the, the interaction with his sister in past where it's like, Oh, father's not bad anymore or whatever, whatever. And some talk about how his parents are, why he is the way he is. But yeah, so it, you can it, infer, but it's not the same as the best story. <laughs> like it's just not. Or the Bell story. Bell. I'm sorry. Why did I say yeah. Bess? Uh, anyway. Because oh, because that's, that's Fred's. Fred's yeah. Okay. Sorry. Bell. Bell. <laughs> but, but no, I, I agree. Like you just, you get so much more backstory and like, but even like the way they shoot the school in the Muppets when like Scrooge just seems so much more alone. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Could have done better, but um, shall we move on to present? This was my least favorite section of the entire movie. It was. uh, Yeah, I was initially all in on Lionel Bram. Is that how you pronounce his last name? B-R-A-H-A-M. I think it's Bram. Um, His ghost of Christmas present looked amazing. (laughs) And like the introduction to him in the Holly. So good. Isn't it kind of cool how like the character design for those ghosts is like, it's very consistent. It is. It is. Representations. I mean, granted, it's probably because of Dickens's good descriptions, but. Mm -hmm. But I really, really liked the character to start, but I'm not sure how I felt about the Christmas horn light thing. They did it too many times. Yes, agreed. And why were they doing it at the Cratchits, who already hold the spirit of Christmas in their hearts year round? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can't make the Cratchits more joyful. Um, the Cratchits are so joyful it doesn't feel real. Oh my gosh! Right. Which was my big beef with the Cratchits was I was like, this does not feel like a real family. Actually, kind of annoying. Oh my god! It, it was like high levels of well, this is this is probably my. Uh, I'm projecting the sound my own feelings on this. Not good. There was a lot of yelling. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> but I was like, this is too much chaos, which is funny coming from me. Um, it, it's too much of other that's people's rich. chaos. <laughs> I'll you put love it that chaos, way. but only your own. <laughs> exactly. It's like my own stink. It's fine. <laughs> um, no, I think so. I I think that because they cut out all of the stuff with Bell. They kind of had to extend this Christmas present section. I was shocked we spent so much time with the Cratchits, like straight we up spent shocked. So much. We spent also way too much time with Fred and Bess, 
too. Well, it's the love story, Maggie. You got to have their like, ooh, let's not slide on the ice and be improper, but actually let's. <laughs> and you can't slide on the ice in front of a church. No Okay, fun but the priest did it. Who they sold, like told that. us that was, was soulless. Cute. And then he shows that he like has some, some pep. And I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> but also the singing in the church was terrible. Um, okay. Every time I heard someone sing in this damn film, I was like, can we not? <laughs> none of it was pleasant. Okay, um, that's that's not always true. There were a couple like um Gene Lockhart I thought had a good vo- voice. Hard disagree. Okay, on all the had, it could sing on key. Um <laughs> could but, yeah. make notes happen. Uh, yeah. Um but yeah, I just uh this whole section it was way too long. We spent too much time with Fred and Elizabeth, like we get it. They're in love. They're happy. They're engaged. Fred needs to be making more money before they get married. It's like they took the Bell Scrooge story, transferred it to Elizabeth and Fred, but then like shortened it, made it happy. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird translation. Yeah. We spent so much time with the Cratchits. Those kids are the most annoying. (laughs) No, (laughs) no kid like that amount of kids are not all just so happy all the time or that adoring to their parents especially those teenagers i mean yeah we did get close with the eldest daughter having kind of a heart to heart and i was like ooh this is the sort of like parent child relationship i would love to see yeah um, i got i thought that was a nice touch because it was it was the one parent child relationship that felt unique I honestly, it didn't feel like Bob and Tim had all that special relationship. And I feel like part of what makes the tiny Tim bit make me cry every time is because of like the clearly demonstrated closeness between like him and Bob. Um, it They didn't feel especially close in this one. Um, Tim didn't feel like an, an especially important part of the family. Cause I feel like in the Muppets adaptation, like we enter the Cratchit home and while it's lighter and warmer than what we saw in Scrooge's home and stuff, it it's still clearly like they're struggling. And while they kind of have like the, mm-hmm. no, we'll get through it. We'll be positive. Like you can, there is still like an underlying like sadness to it. And then you have Tim slash mini Kermit very clearly being like the light and joy of the family, which is what makes his loss even more devastating later in the story. But with this one, I was like, I don't, there's nothing really setting Tim apart for me. Um, But I did, I agree that I liked the bit with it's Martha, the eldest and Bob, where he finally admits to her that he was fired because he won't tell his wife. And then he's like, I shouldn't have told anyone. And I'm like, dude, you got to tell, like, you need to tell your partner. They need to know and be able to prepare and maybe help if they can. Like, that's not a, that's not a secret you keep. Right. So really, I think everything that you're saying for me is summed up in in three things that I despise. One, Bob goes on a shopping spree and has the biggest fucking goose. So like I I appreciate that they value that and want to make a like a big Christmas dinner. But if we're supposed to really be showing them these characters, ugh, it's it's just like it's too much. Agreed. It's too much. The puny little goose that we got in the Muppets is which, again, it is the stereotype, but like we we have to know that. So that that was the first thing that I was like, OK, I absolutely agree. And granted, this is before the Christmas present bit. We're going a little out of order chronologically, but I think, you know, this is part of the conversation we're currently having. It, it fits. It's the right. Part. Yeah. <laughs> After he gets fired. Sorry. He's just being. So like there's a moment of him being sad. And then, like you said, he goes on this massive shopping spree because he's been given his wages. He seems seemingly burns them all after having been fired. Like and he also seems so happy while it's happening. Like that's the crazy bit to me is that there is no worry because I I could see that maybe they were saying like he's just been fired he knows this is bad. He's going to push through. He doesn't want his family to know. So he's going even like the extra mile to do even more, even if maybe mm-hmm. it's not the wise thing to do. Like he's just going 
but Bob's, Bob's not, dumb. not dumb. And also, like, you could you could have him do something like that, but still have like this element of like sadness and kind of like knowing he shouldn't like you could have him, you know, trying to pick out the goose and he's like, Oh, I want that one. Cause he's like determined to still make it a good Christmas for his family and bring home the big goose. And they're like, Oh, it's this much. And then he's like, okay, well maybe not that one. How about the smaller one? Like, you know, you could, you could have something. I straight up expected Me that too. to happen. It did not. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> The one moment we get is when he breaks down and tells Martha and then almost immediately he like forgets. It was bizarre. (laughs) Questions. I have questions for this man. (laughs) Uh, So second thing that I don't like, and this, I, uh, I struggle with this one a little bit, but tiny Tim, while he does not have use of one of his legs, he does not appear to me to be a particularly frail. So the kind of like risk, like on top of the fact that he's not really like the joy of the family in the way that baby Kermit is, it's also like, he doesn't look like he's going to die, even though it is like told to us multiple times. And we all know the story. Like he's very frail. Yeah. Like didn't like that characterization either. So that, that is the second mark against kind of that setup there. Third thing, too many damn children. They all get lost. <laughs> like, I appreciate that they pulled it back to three. Was it three in Muppets? Or was it three four? Three, maybe four. It might be four. But I, I totally agree. All the children get lost. I mean, it may have been a thing where it's like, oh, we got to sh- show, like, they have so many children to feed. But, like, you, yeah. I don't know. You still could have cut back, and it's still, like... Oh my God, they have four kids they gotta feed. Who cares if it like seven versus four? Oh, absolutely. Someone out there who has seven kids and who has four kids are like, there's a big difference. <laughs> but I'm saying from a movie <laughs> standpoint. Um, it, but no, and I to- I totally agree on the frailty thing for Tim too. Like he can't use one of his legs. That doesn't mean he's sickly. Right. It doesn't mean he's gonna die within the year. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of worry about Tim's health. Like they're out there letting him run around in the snow, like <laughs> have random men pick him up and slide and risk like, you pe- know, people traumatic are piggyback riding it's great. him sliding across the ice. You're right. Like it makes zero sense. I think that's a great <laughs> criticism. I do believe that I read at the time. Um Gene Lockhart, who was cast as Bob Cratchit, one of the criticisms, like people, people at the time were like, his performance was great. Slightly disagree. But they were also like, um, he does look like a little too hardy to be Bob Cratchit. <laughs> That's a nice way to put that. <laughs> Which, I mean, I also like the the set design in the Cratchit home. Like, it looks cozy, but it looks a little too nice. It was very... Okay, lavish is not the the right word, but it, it was very well appointed for what I expected. And again, I'm projecting my expectations, but I do think that there is some validity to the point that we need to understand where these characters are at for it to be effective. Agreed. And also just like none of the Cratchits seemed worried. And therefore I was like, I'm not worried. Yeah. Yeah. They know themselves better than we ever will, apparently. So... <laughs> uh. Anyway, I, I I found the Cratchits in this film wholly unsatisfying. Same. Uh, did you get real worried when Bob Cratchit sat all the kids down to start telling a story? Because I did. I thought we were going to have to hear the whole story. Legit thought we were going to. I was so pleased they pulled away. <laughs> and I don't like that. Oh, also at the beginning of that Cratchit scene in Christmas Present, you have Scrooge being like, is Tim going to live? And we're like, no one told you Tim is dying. And also, why do you suddenly care about Tiny Tim? Like. And that's the thing. The joy switch got flipped on way too fast. It was weird. Agreed. A (laughs) hundred percent agreed. Because I feel like in the Muppets when everyone starts getting worried about Tim after he sings the song and spreads joy and is sickly. Exactly. And is sickly. Thank you. (laughs) But it's, it's like Scrooge got to see how important Tim was to the family after having gone through all of his past. And we had some growth. Most of the present had some growth. Like Michael Caine's levels he brought to kind of that awareness is just a head and shoulders above uh, what we see. It was layered. 
It felt real. And again, this film was only 69 minutes, but I still feel like a good portion of it was wasted. (laughs) And so I think the last present scene is at the niece and nephew's house, which again, too. What was that game that they were playing where somebody was going to get like bowled over? Blind Man's Bluff. You've never heard of Blind Man's Bluff? I've never heard of Blind Man's Bluff. So what I have gathered, I guess from watching movies set in like the 1820s and 30s because i feel like it appears in some sort of bronte adaptation as well i believe this is what i've gathered one person is blindfolded and then you just like have to catch another person while you're blindfolded so like every so like you have one person who's blindfolded and they're like just like turned around to like disorient them and then everybody else is like kind of just trying to avoid them mm-hmm and so in this scene, when Fred like asks his buddies, like, can you see? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, perfectly. Like, clearly he's like going <laughs> for his girl. Mm, OK, it's supposed to be cute. Ian, it wasted our time. <laughs> I mean, it also is a little bit. Well, I, I assume everybody playing knows each other and is OK with it. So I'm, I'm just going to operate under that assumption. Oh, yeah, I um, don't <laughs> think this is when you play with strangers. I think it also probably at the time was like a way for like men and women to actually like have a little physical contact. Um, That's what I'm guessing. Okay. I feel like it was it was popular with the young people. <laughs> oh, scandalous. Scandal. <laughs> um, somebody called the Hayes Code. But I did, okay, I will say I pr- loved in it, like, in a vacuum, the scene of Bess and Fred kind of closing the curtain into the window seat. Like, would have been cute, but we didn't need it because we know they're getting married and we're already rooting for them. We don't need it. <laughs> It was just the scene was too long. And I think the perfect contrast is the party scene at Fred and Elizabeth's in Muppet Christmas Carol. And also the order of Fred and Elizabeth and the Cratchits is swapped in a Christmas Carol. Yes, I. I, Yes, it is swapped in Muppets. So it's yeah. So in the 38 version, they go Cratchits and then Fred and Elizabeth. And then I think in Muppets Christmas Carol was Fred and Elizabeth and then Cratchits. Um. And in the Muppets one, oh, it's so good because the game that they're playing is like a guessing game where Fred's like, okay, I've picked a person. Who am I? And people are like describing them. Like, are you a, this person? Uh, do people like to have you around? And he's like, no. And he's like, I'm Scrooge. I make everyone miserable. Like, it's it's a beautiful kind of like set up and burn on Scrooge (laughs) for him to realize that like, Oh, the one family member that I have, like the one person I could name to go like drop by on Christmas thinks I make everyone miserable. Mm -hmm. It's so important for showing how he changes his thought. Like being unwanted is so important to the like, flow of this character arc and here it just fell really flat totally agree and i just felt like this section was just inordinately long and like super badly paced and then we cut to what is arguably the most important section of a christmas carol and like the most iconic and they don't do it justice. It's far too short. It is. I did love the transition. So I will give it props for that where it's. Oh, the maniacal laughing really, really did not. Oh, like. you didn't like that? <laughs> did not like it. It made me real uncomfortable. But you know what? You if you enjoyed it. OK, <laughs> well, I just thought it was kind of an, uh, a good way to contrast like, OK, Scrooge actually does like Christmas because I think there's some line near the end where it's like, don't be silly. You don't like Christmas. And he's like, wait, but do I? And he says, I do like Christmas and starts maniacally laughing. And then we have a hard zoom in on his face and I didn't like it. That's fair. That's fair. But it's like dreaming state. I was good with. And then it moved into the really creepy graveyard scene. And I liked that transition. Yeah, I will. I will agree that the like transition kind of between the ghost where it seems almost like he's still dreaming. Mm-hmm. I will agree that. Well, I didn't love them. I thought like I thought the execution could have been a little bit better i liked the idea of them mm-hmm. well i will give them the benefit of the doubt but uh it's not going to save the movie for me <laughs> um yeah so we get the transition i i guess he's in like kind of a windswept he's like by a 
gnarly old tree next to this church that's on like a cliff. I was getting major like Frankenstein vibes slash weather yeah. vibes. I wonder if they reused some sets. Um, I was disappointed in the ghost of Christmas is yet to come. I know that the costume is classically just the long black robes. All you can see is the hands, no face because the hood is up. It just it felt disappointing. There was no character. Like, I didn't get anything out of Ghost of Christmas Future. There wasn't, like, an impo- imposing stature. It was just a dude in a robe. <laughs> His point had no finesse. So I think back to the Cratchits again, because we do get a scene about how uh, haha Scrooge is cheap, his funeral is poorly attended, all that. I'll go if lunch is served. Like, okay. It's weird that we go to this barren landscape which I think is either the graveyard or maybe supposed to be like right outside the graveyard. Then we go back to visiting people and then we go back to graveyard. Like it's a weird jump I mean, around. the Muppets did that. Did they start in the graveyard? They did. And then they had that weird twisty warpy scene. I remember the warpy scene. You're right. I take it all back. I'm sorry. I mean, in this, in the Muppets, it felt cohesive, which is funny for me to say that, given that they went through this crazy warp. But, but you know why it felt cohesive? Because we had Gonzo and Rizzo setting shit up for us. Yeah. And that's where, this is also where the narrator was so clutch, because even though I will say the tone of the Muppets was definitely darker throughout, they definitely signal like a super dark tone shift at this point in the story. Because Rizzo and Gonzo as narrators tap out and they're like, this is where it gets scary. We'll see you Mm -hmm. later. And it allows them to signal this even darker tone shift. Whereas like this movie, it felt like they tried to go dark, but also like didn't go dark enough because they hadn't set it up properly. And that is my exact issue with the scene with the Cratchits. Like the parents are just a little too happy for my liking and don't let me say I thought that the kids actually in that scene did a very nice job of like having contrasting performances to like their previous bonkers off the wall happiness they were finally subdued (laughs) well it's easy to come down from that um but I don't let me say that I in any way deserve to to tell people how to mourn unless they're characters in a Christmas Carol. Um, Like we, we need levels. We need to have some like clear indications of what they're going through. And the only things that I get about Bob is like, Oh, he walks slowly more now that Tim like is not on his shoulders. Like, and that's one of his sons saying that we were told not shown. Thank you. So well put. I think I said this in our Muppets Christmas Carol. I like cry at any adaptation anytime we get to the part where Tiny Tim has died. I got minutely choked up, but not a single tear fell. I had very little emotion for Tiny Tim because he was so minor. We didn't see him at all. <laughs> and just because like the family didn't seem real, like they didn't seem like real people. Yeah. Whereas bizarrely. <laughs> Miss Piggy, Kermit, and their offspring felt more like real people and a real family. I mean, they're characters that you build empathy with. And I, because I can see nothing in the Cratchit family that like helps me really connect to them, which maybe that's a me problem, or maybe it's this film didn't do a good job of building this character problem. Um, I think it's a, this film didn't do a good job. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm inclined to say that, too, but I I just have to qualify. (laughs) Well, we watched an adaptation of the exact same story where we did feel a lot of empathy. True. I like your evidence-based approach. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, That's actually why I decided to do two versions of the same story. I'm testing us for psychopathy. Uh Uh-oh. Are we we failing? We pass. Okay, we did pass. Okay, good. (laughs) So I think... Uh, unless you have anything else to say on the Cratchits, like we end, but yeah, it's a, uh, we end with the traditional monologue about things that may be or will be, which I, I still love that line. I'm a sucker for that line. I need to go see if it was lifted straight from the source material because it's too good. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, it sounds like a Dickens line. It's in every adaptation. I here again is where I just, I know we talked about how good Michael Caine was in the Muppets one, but I just thinking about the difference between 
how this movie handled the scene and the Muppets handled the scene. I just had even more respect for his performance. And again, I think with this scene, I don't think it's necessarily Reginald Owens's fault. I think the editing probably really hurt him here. Well, the writing wasn't great. It was a little too like, uh, I don't know. It it had too much like self-righteousness in it. Well, there's also the thing that Michael Caine did before he, there was a buildup to him going to the gravestone. And because we saw like the people had looted his house, we saw the crash. Like by the time we made it to the graveyard, he already knew whose name was on that gravestone. And when he's asking, you can tell it's just desperately hoping it's not him. It's hoping he's wrong, but like deep down, he knows that it is his grave and that the person who died, who no one cares about, like he knows it's him. And there was this lovely like back and forth between like going towards the grave, going back towards Christmas uh, past or no Christmas future. And like, not really bargaining, but trying to be, but I guess bargaining to a certain extent, but like doing the, like, you know, this is, you showed me what might happen, right? Like this isn't written in stone. Like I can change it before he finally goes to the gravestone. And then when he reveals his own name, he's not surprised. Mm -hmm. He's just sad. And I felt like with this one, I didn't get that buildup. I didn't get that back and forth. I didn't get the self-awareness from Scrooge that like he knows what's coming. He hopes he's wrong, but then his just devastation when he isn't instead, like he acted like he was surprised. Yeah. And then you get Michael Caine, who's like literally pleading and begging and had the buildup. Like you mentioned it, it, it felt too much like, in this adaptation, Scrooge just had this unnecessary and completely unexplainable confidence in his like monologue that he's giving. So I And we also already saw him be like, no, I actually love Christmas. Like it felt it felt like this was almost unnecessary. Like it felt like he'd he'd already made his full arc, but like too quickly. Yeah. Oh, 100% too quickly. Like he was in on Christmas, like halfway through past, like, come on. <laughs> uh. So yeah, the grave, the graveyard scene, which I think is like the most iconic scene in the story. It was a throwaway. Felt completely flat. And I mean, again, like I know why they did that. And it's because they were trying to make it family friendly. But again, I think it's a disservice to children because I think this story is so good. I think it teaches such valuable lessons. It's very easy to like digest and understand. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I think you stripped all of that away. Agreed completely. And it, I don't know. It just cheapens everything else that follows for me, at least. So speaking of everything else that follows, I, they wrap it up real fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's not too much that I have to say here other than everything happens that I expect happens. I did actually laugh, though, at Mrs. Cratchit hiding in the pantry. Oh, my gosh. And then her the screams of her children and being like, our children, save them. OK, that was funny. Check on the children, save them. <laughs> yeah, that was funny, too. Legitimately that is the funny. only piece of comedy in this film, because when they tried to lighten the tone, they definitely tried to go heavier on the comedy. That Those two pieces were the only bits of comedy that I think worked in the entire film. I felt like the rest of it was not funny agreed and i think for me what i realized is i I think reginald owen in this is a lot more comfortable with the really happy into christmas scrooge like as the character because it was weird seeing how he was able to open up a lot more and you saw glimmers of it when he was um you know kind of supposed to be in his arc in the visits with the ghosts or the spirits but it it, uh I don't know. It just felt like he was playing against type in when he was trying to be Scrooge and that just ruined the arc or against his preferred type. I should say, I I think it's a mixture, a little bit of the performance, but I'm going to put it more on like writing, directing and editing, I think, than anything else. I think if you just had those three categories better than like, maybe you get a better performance. Yeah, it. But we're also comparing it to Michael Caine, who absolutely hit Scrooge out of the park. Oh, my gosh. So good. So good. I know. We probably should have watched this one first. Again, though, 
stuff happened. Life happened. <laughs> I'm actually okay with watching it in this order because I am so much happier spending uh, some podcast runtime contrasting these two movies in the shorter films episode. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. We probably actually would have struggled to fill a full episode um, initially. Oh, 100%. Much, much too short and much too hollow. <laughs> yeah. So let's kind of breeze through this in. There is one one aspect of this end bit that like I need us to talk about in depth. Oh. Um, and that is the goose that Scrooge buys to take to the Cratchits. And the fact that you have those long spindly feet sticking out of the bundle. And then just this long limp neck with the goose head just swinging it's covered by a sack (laughs) but it's just it's just lolling around as he runs through the streets and greets various people and i could not stop watching the goose just swing around (laughs) i i i remember nothing else that happened but the image of that goose will be burned into my brain forever it was a big goose it wasn't as big as the one bob cratchit bought and it looked a lot more sickly (laughs) (laughs) well and not good it's just such a weird choice from the prop department that was just a weird (laughs) choice did no one look at that and be like you guys we can't we can't they could have reused the prop from bob's scenes like they could have done anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to recommend you watch this movie, but I'm going to recommend you go and watch that little clip of it. Um, as of recording, it's on HBO Max. If you have that, like I just I need other people to see what I'm talking about. It's crazy. Yeah. Can I just say this is the first movie that we've done on this podcast? I think ever that I did not actually buy a copy of because I'm weird and want to have a copy of movies i've regretted it in the past and i would have regretted it massively had i bought this movie so i'm glad i didn't (laughs) you own oh don't tell me a broadway melody of 1929 it's vitamins of movie it's the vitamin of movies it's fine (laughs) i want to go back and watch that at some point i don't know i don't know why um maybe i'm sick uh, or we just I need to confirm that, that it is as bad as we remember. <laughs> I, I just I wonder if it's just going to be interesting in retrospect. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, one of these one of these days, I'll like pour myself a glass of wine and watch that movie again. Mm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm done. I'm done talking about the goose. I just <laughs> I had to. I had it is to. weird. Um, but I guess like that kind of wraps up my notes. Like for me, Muppets is. For all intents and purposes, the definitive film version of A Christmas Carol for me, and I will never say otherwise. I don't know about you. That's a bold statement because there's a lot of different adaptations. Um, it is the definitive version for me as well. I think Muppets. Um, it's definitely not this one. <laughs> I I do think it's. I kind of want us to do more of this though, where we watch like we we pick movies or stories, I guess, or stories slash books that have been like heavily adapted. Um, and just watch different adaptations yeah. because I, I just, it's, it's been an interesting conversation and it's been fun to talk about. I totally agree. A star is born. Oh, please don't make me watch all a stars is born. That's too many stars. I've not ever, Ian, I've never seen any of them. I haven't either. Well, actually maybe that's a good reason for us to Wait, do actually, it. Wait, actually, hold on. We might have stumbled on something. <laughs> maybe this is a thing yeah maybe once we're done with all the best picture winners maybe we start doing this Ooh, i like it maybe we have a (laughs) spinoff what would we call it i don't know we'll brainstorm name the sisters the best sister pictures i don't know adapt or die no i don't know (laughs) and we we rank the definitive well it's like fuck mary kill but for films but for film. But then we'd have to pick like trilogies. We'd have to do like trilogies or like um ones that have been remade three times. And I think we should call it fuck Mary Kill in parentheses, but for films. I love it. Done. I'm sold. All right. I think that was gonna wrap it up for our holiday season of 2021 and for 2021 in general. Oh my gosh, it's been such a short and long year. Do you know what the first film we did for the podcast this year was? I couldn't tell you. It's last year was 2019, remember? So I I don't we did films in 2021. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. So the first film we did of 2021 was Rocky. Whoa. Okay. We did a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did a lot. Um, it came up in, in work. We were all talking about, um, someone was like, what do you think your the best movies of this year were? And I was like, well, I've mostly just watched stuff from the seventies and eighties this year. <laughs> so I was like, can't talk about recent stuff. But yeah, so thank you everyone for sticking with us this year. We look forward to 2022. We will be back on our canon episodes. I know we've been saying that for a while. Okay, but, but we mean it this time, even if we know we're we going to like be wrecked afterwards. Thank you, Platoon. Yeah, we mean it. We mean <laughs> it. But uh, thank you so much, everyone. Until 2022 you can find us on social media on instagram and twitter we are at best pictures pod on both email us in at best pictures podcast at gmail.com rate subscribe review we love it when you do that um and until then happy holidays to everybody and happy new year thanks for listening and just leave it at your comment i don't need to say anything (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm clicking stop now